so random. to the Real and Random Podcast. I'm your host, Rashida, aka Randomly Rashida. And today in the studio, I have with me Valerie Baber. Thanks for coming back to part two of my interview with Valerie Baber. We're talking all things stripper. We're talking all things don't judge a book by its cover. And actually the name of the episode is simply from Playboy to PhD. Please enjoy part two of the episode because I want you to take it all in, like I said, a little bit at a time because it was a lot and I didn't want to give it to you all at once because I want you to feel what Valerie is talking about. So we're going to do part two and that starts now. I want to take it a different direction. You also, and this is funny because you've got like a checkered past. Like, I love it. I can't deny it. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, no one can look it. at you and say, this is what this girl has done. Like you're all over the place. And I like it. You also were a sex and society writer. You took what you saw in those experiences. And you mentioned that you want to help women and help people in their relationships. Talk a little bit about that. Right. So when I was both dancing and working for Playboy, sparked my interest in understanding what's going on in people's relationships and where are they going wrong. So as a dancer, I wasn't the kind of girl that would just go up to someone and say, you want to dance? And he would say no. And I'd turn my back on him and go to the next guy. I'm not that kind of hustler. Um, <laughs> I, I would... I would sit and talk. I actually genuinely wanted to connect with people. So I would go and sit and have a drink or three and talk. I was essentially a therapist in a G-string. And <laughs> I, I like heard- that. That's a book, you know. That's totally a book. <laughs> a therapist in a G-string. <laughs> All right. I like it too. I think, I think I'm going to have to start that today unless you, unless you want to take it. But So they would tell me all their darkest secrets. And they would say, I learned the script so well. Here's the script that I heard most of the time. I've been married to my wife for a number of years. Everything was great. I love her. She's a great mother to our children. She's a great roommate. She's a great woman. But she hasn't touched me in the past seven years. She's just not interested. And I don't want to break up the family, but I have needs and their need isn't necessarily to go and stick it in a lot of things you know <laughs> right and I know that women like to think oh wait men are pigs and they're sex focused well yeah they do like sex a lot but but there's something behind that sex to them makes them feel appreciated sex makes them feel like a man sex is their way of connecting. Sex is their way of affirming that they are desired. Someone wants them. They've got it. So they're just as vulnerable and insecure as women. They just express that differently. And often those vulnerable insecurities come out through sexual pursuits. So I started to learn that script and there were others. And then also working for Playboy, I worked as a sex journalist. They sent me around the world talking to people about alternative adult lifestyles. And so their underground activities that they did, the fetish clubs they went to, the naked art that they secretly created in the shed in the backyard of their conservative rural town, the girl that got arrested for taking topless pictures for her website back when that was a thing in the city. And I thought, why are we hiding? Because we all have this side to us. We're all doing 
the same things, why are we trying to pretend that none of us are doing what the other person is doing? Like, why, why do we have this facade? Why are we lying to ourselves and each other? What, wouldn't it be so much easier if we were just transparent and said, oh, you're, you're doing that thing too? Right. Oh, cool, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be a secret society if we did that. <laughs> right. But it would alleviate so much stress if we just went, yeah, yeah, I'd do that. I'm into that. You like rubber chickens? That's great. I like uh, shiny balloons. So, <laughs> and, and it is funny you say that because I'm kind of like you. I was inquisitive. People probably thought I was like infiltrating the camp to like get like journalistic information or whatever. But I would go to swinger clubs. I went out of curiosity. And my husband always says, you know, your curiosity is probably going to be the thing that kills you. <laughs> I'm like probably uh-huh. so. Because like I could not believe when I found out what was happening in there that this was like legal and above board. And like people were doing it. Like I'm like, I got to see this for myself because I just can't believe it. And I was so amazed at what I saw in those clubs in a good way, I should say. So I wasn't there to participate by any means, but I was more just taking it all in, like literally taking it all in. And I would sit with these people and I would start talking to them. And you find that some of them, their mindset was, it's just sex. Like there's function and then there's like that passion making love and you file it. And so they were just there for the act. It wasn't anything heartfelt or emotional based, but it was just, it was very interesting to hear the whys, why they were there, the age groups that were there. I mean, I talked to like 70 year olds. I'm thinking, what the devil are you doing up in here? And it's like a whole mindset. Like, why would you sit and watch your husband or wife like sleep with another person in your face? What part of you think that's good? And you got to have a certain amount of mental fortitude to even ingest that, right? And so it was very interesting and kind of freeing in a weird kind of way. You lose inhibition completely because there's a part where you have to go in the back at this particular club and you can only have on a towel or lingerie or just butt naked. But it was freeing because it didn't matter if you were fat, it didn't matter if you were white, it didn't matter if you were black, it didn't matter if you know you had a pimple on your face. Like nobody was into that. Clearly there was other things on their brains probably, but no, sure. really. <laughs> uh-huh. But really it was like this thing where you could just be your authentic self and have an amazing time socializing, drinking, eating, dancing, and whatever else you wanted to do. And I think, like you said, there's so much stigma and mystique around what I'm doing when really the guy next door is doing the same daggum thing. (laughs) You know, so you find in your research, why is there so much secrecy and shame around sex and intimacy? Because that's something you're working on too, right? Mm -hmm. It's what I wrote my master's thesis about. It is what I've worked on as a coach. And I want to sort of broaden my horizons as a clinician, as a mental health worker, because there is so much more out there to discuss and so many other ways to help people. But I am endlessly fascinated with uh, sex and relationships, as I think we all are. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just admitting it in public on a podcast. But yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) About intimacy and like the secrecy around it only happens in America because in Europe people are topless on the beach and you know they're free and kids aren't like freaking out about it and all this stuff but in America it's like oh no like you have to be like you know almost in a a turtleneck you know what I mean why do you think that there's so much stigma and weirdness about that we're supposed to be progressive 
and edgy and forward. And I think that in some ways we are, but when it comes to sex and relationships, we definitely are not. I'd say the Germans have us beat um, for sure. <laughs> I think I think they take the cake, but we're subscribing to old values and beliefs that no longer serve us. I think it's because living in the pain of that subscription, you know, that those beliefs is easier than it is to challenge ourselves and say, this isn't working. This is hypocritical. It's kind of ironic that I'm saying this. Let's try something else. Let's approach this a different way. Let me go over my personal values and, and ethics and philosophy again and see if I maybe need to adjust. People don't like to be uncomfortable with something new. Devil you know is better than the devil you don't. So I think that's what's going on. It's just that this story has been handed down to us that sex is private and it should only be done in marriage and it should only be done to have kids and it should only be done in missionary on a Tuesday between 3 and 7 p.m. You know, <laughs> and that's what's been handed down to us. And it's just so much easier for us to go, okay, I'm going to say that I agree with this. I'm going to try to convince other people that I'm practicing this way, even though I'm not, even though I don't want to. Because just owning what I am and being bold about it and being unapologetic about it is just too scary. What if people judge me? What if my mother says I'm a bad son? <laughs> so, do, do you think it has to do with insecurities? Because you said the guys, when you would talk to them in the club, they would say, I'm just not getting affirmed because maybe their love language is sex. And it usually is because I know when I was first married, we would get into an argument and the first thing he'd want to do is go to bed and have sex. And I'm like, uh, no, you're not touching me probably for about three <laughs> days in case you didn't know. Cause I'm like all the way mad. And this is not my love language. My love language is understanding communication and his is let's just bang it out and we'll pretend this never happened. And I'm like, nope, not, my mind isn't there. So we, there's clearly a disconnect as far as that's concerned. But do you think people get in these entanglements, shall we say, because they lack self-esteem or why not just get out of what you're in and go get what you need? How do I do that? Well, there are cultural issues. Some people can't just get out of what they're in because they come from a conservative culture. Their families might disown them if they got divorced, if they said, actually, I'm attracted to the same sex. There is unknowingness, a lack of education, a lack of resources. I don't know who to go to. I don't know how to find what it is I'm looking for. I've been in this toxic relationship for so many years of my life. It's the only thing I know. I wouldn't even know how to start. I wouldn't know how to live without them. So I'm just going to keep being abused. I'm just going to keep being unhappy because it's easier than to figure out who it is I need to turn to. So then you're not living your authentic self, are you? No, no. And we should all be striving to do that. Absolutely. But it's, it's hard. It is uncomfortable, but people have to know that we cannot make changes. We cannot heal ourselves. We cannot be, be better and create better people and raise better children and make society in the world better. If we don't make ourselves uncomfortable, we have to challenge ourselves. It's going to be awkward. It's going to hurt. People will say things to you that you don't like, but power through it and it gets easier and you grow and you will like how you grow. And it has lit me up. I'm such a different person now than I was 20 years ago when I would not have a conversation about this at all. I feel stronger. And when I radiate that strength, when people see me owning this, I think it gives them power too. You emit 
what you feel and you will change others by changing yourself. So take one for the team, you know, get, <laughs> get punched a few times knowing that ultimately you're going to win the fight. So in your scientific or unscientific research, <laughs> what do men really want? Help free some ladies up today. <laughs> uh, men, men want to know that they are appreciated. Men want to feel desired. Men want connection with their partners. They want their amazing roommates and their amazing baby mamas back. Maybe they aren't so good with words and they don't know how to express you know, their love or their sadness or their pain about your fight with their words. So they want to heal things. They want to patch. They want to know that they still have you and that there's nothing wrong. Nobody's telling them that they're wrong. Nobody's telling them that they're bad or they didn't do a thing that they were supposed to do. It's fun. It's easy. It's relaxed. They're getting attention. They get to escape the heavy reality of chores and duties and anger that they use at home. Well, now there's a flip side to that coin too, because my question would be, are you saying that the pressure and the weight is all on the lady to satisfy him and maybe push her stuff to the side? You know, I had to go there. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, no, no. I do think that it's important for both sides, men and women or people in same-sex partnerships to really try to step outside of themselves and understand what it's like for their partner. What stressors are they facing? What are they going through? We could all try a little harder to be less harsh on our partners. Now, when I say, you know, women don't be so negative and like try to understand that he has a different language, definitely men get a little sloppy. You know, <laughs> I know that, you know, men think that they might want their woman to maintain a certain aesthetic but they let themselves go. Right. And I, I understand <laughs> how difficult it would be if I were in a relationship like that. It would be hard for me to find the desire when I'm working hard to keep myself up and he's rocking the dad bod, you know? So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's hard. And men need to put themselves in the woman's position too, instead of pointing a finger and saying, oh, she's just menopausal or she's just asexual or she just doesn't like me. Like, look at yourself. How can you help inspire her to give you the things that you want? You know, if you did the thing that you said that you've been doing for a month, would she stop nagging you? You know, how are you creating your own negativity? So there are definitely adjustments and things that they can do too. You have to understand that she's not just being a, a bitch. Well, I hate this. Something's wrong with her and she doesn't like sex anymore. Maybe we can get her on some pills or some cream because her vagina's not working. Like, no, we just, it's harder for us to get turned on. So maybe you're not saying the right thing. Or maybe, maybe it's been too long since you've taken her out on a date. Women like to feel romanced. So when did you do your part? Try harder to do your part. And I bet she will start to ease up and unfold for you. Absolutely. So your whole platform is oxymoronic enough as it may be, given how it all began, is you actually want to save marriages. 
<laughs> I do. I do. And that's, you know, that's one of the, I think that's one of the reasons that people and particularly women might not feel so positively about the idea of a stripper or an exotic dancer or anybody in the adult entertainment industry is they think, oh, those girls are homewreckers. I didn't sign up for anything wanting to destroy marriages. I wanted to pay my rent. (laughs) I just wanted to pay my rent. I didn't want anything to do with anybody's man. Even when I was giving a lap dance, I just wanted to like find out what's going on in his world. Hopefully meet a nice person, make my 20 bucks or my hundred bucks, depending on what, how long we went and then, and then go home and eat. So wasn't uh, interested in destroying anything at all. And I did learn that a lot of men, maybe were able to maintain their relationships because they did have that outlet where they could go and for an hour or a couple of hours at a time, feel excited, be away from stress and be around women who, you know, even though it was their job to do and it may have been inauthentic, made them feel like a 25 year old man again. So (laughs) yeah. And I, and I like it. I mean, I do, I save marriages as a stripper. Maybe, maybe I did. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, I want to, I want to continue to do that, to continue to understand people, to continue to tell them the stories that will provide clarity and offer them the tools that will provide them with strength and hopefully more love in their relationship. I want to do the same thing that I did a little differently and fully clothed. (laughs) Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So to drive it all home, What is your area of expertise going to be when you get your PhD? I am very interested in sex and relationship. I find that the problems in erotic relationships or love relationships is a breakdown of communication. So I might say that my focus is communication. I might market myself as sort of a a communication uh, guide or expert rather than sex itself. Everything comes down to communication, but I think people identify more with sex. It's kind of easier to help people understand what I'm doing relates to the bedroom and their marriage uh, by using that word. I'm a long way away. I've got another three years or so left. So I've got some time to think about exactly what my specialty will be. I'm sure that in the next few years, I'll be trying out different things. And you know what? I'll let you know if I go a totally different way or, or slightly different, I will let you know. And I guess it's important to note as well that even in the midst of all that going on, you took a hiatus and went off to Europe or something and finished your bachelor's degree, didn't you? Yeah, I did. You took the money and ran. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. Because of this bizarre underworld that I found myself in, even though it wasn't ideal, it did provide me with the incredible healing opportunity of living abroad for three years and finishing two degrees while I was there. So I got my bachelor's in England. And then a little bit later on, I went back to England and I got my master's. It was healing for me to get out of that environment that I was working in. It was the most amazing education to live as an expat, to live as a foreigner. I thought that it wouldn't be that different because in my mind, oh, Americans and the English or the Brits are like cousins. We just have these slight differences. But I was very wrong. (laughs) It was a humbling, humbling experience 
I learned what it means to be American. I, I learned what it means to just sit down, shut up and take the back seat and, and let others teach you their ways. So it was a magical experience and very empowering because I was a college dropout for 10 years and I wanted a degree because everybody has a degree and I felt stupid. I felt stupid for being a stripper. I felt stupid for having an incomplete education. So when I got my first degree, it was like, yes, now I can join the real world. And when I got my second degree, like, wow, I am unstoppable. And now I'm working on my third. And if you had told me that at 18 or even 28, I would have been mind blown, but there is so much power in it. It's weird how I got there, but I got there. And then I didn't stop going. So, you know, don't judge. Like you said, don't judge the like It's covered. Turn a page or two. <laughs> what would you say to the moms who, or the dads who have kids who kind of go rogue? What would you say to just ease a parent's mind or just encourage that guy or girl who's gone rogue? <laughs> Gosh, well, I hesitate to offer advice to parents because I myself am not a parent and I know that it's hard work and you just don't understand until you're there. But I can offer advice based off of my experience and what I wish were there for me. I would say to parents, if there's something that you don't understand about your kid or that makes you fearful, if you wish they were a different way, instead of writing it off, oh, it's a phase, maybe they'll get through it. Instead of ignoring it, instead of sticking your head in the sand and hoping that it goes away, be there for them. Be there for them with your words. Be there for them with your emotions. Be there for them in physical sense. Be present. Ask questions. Don't come from a punishing place or judgmental place, but try to understand their way of thought. You might find that things click (laughs) and that might give you a about what words to use, how to kind of tap into their wavelength so that what you have to say is better received. Never stop offering your love and support. Being human is hard. Life is messy. And maybe what they're doing actually works out well for them. Or maybe it's a horrible mistake and it gets ugly and they hit rock bottom eventually. But you're going to be there to bring them back up. Don't stop being a loving parent. I love it. To this day, do your parents know what you've done? I'm pretty sure they do, but they are the parents who would rather not discuss anything that isn't comfortable. They were never very warm and loving. They were never very communicative. They just don't want to open up. They're, they just aren't good at communicating. They're not good with relationships. <laughs> so I think they know because I'm all over the internet. It's really hard to miss me. (laughs) It's really hard to miss me, but I really haven't had any detailed, substantial conversations about anything because they just can't, they can't. And I have to accept that as, as much as it hurts me. Well, from the poll to the PhD, we have <laughs> Valerie Baber. You've been amazing. And I also want you just to drop your podcast because you are a fellow podcaster as well. So tell everybody where they can get more about you on your podcast. Uh, yes, I am a podcaster. My podcast is Sex and Society. You can find it anywhere you get your podcast. I've also been recording on Zoom. So you can go to my new YouTube channel if you want to see the video version of the podcast. It's also on YouTube as Sex and Society with Valerie Baber. 
Love it. I'm glad you opened up and you made me think differently about people. And I've always tried to be open-minded because I was so heavily judged and prejudged. So I learned quickly, that's probably not the right way to go about living and doing that to others because I knew how it made me feel. And so I'm just thankful that you were open enough to have that conversation and healed and freed up enough to be vulnerable and help maybe free somebody else up along the way. So I thank you so much. And I'm going to definitely be on the lookout for therapists in a G-string coming to a theater near you. <laughs> thank you for that idea and for having me on the show and giving me a platform to, to share my experience. And I'll, I'll be watching it. for that PhD girl because uh, you're going to do some great things. It's coming. It's coming. Awesome. All right, Valerie, we'll talk again soon. As I always say, your best and brightest days are ahead. This is Rashida, aka Randomly Rashida, and this has been the Real and Random Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, follow, share, and leave reviews and comments because we as podcasters, we like that sort of stuff. And I will catch you on the flip side. That's so random.